All right, Libby, are you ready for this podcast this week or what? Is the Pope Catholic? Yes. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rocking good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host Libby Cudmore. Libby, what's shaking? Oh, not much. It's 90 degrees here and uh, we're just, I don't know, trying, trying to get a start to the summer. But I would like to introduce... Our special guest, we have Quentin Harrison joining us today. He is the author of Record Redux, The Spice Girls. He is a writer for Albumism and other outlets, and also a fellow podcaster. He co-hosts Music Out of Bounds. So Quentin, welcome. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here this evening. We're so happy to have you. Welcome to so. the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you. Well, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us why we brought you on today and what we're talking about? Well, something about a, a project by five saucy sirens from the British Isles, <laughs> uh, the Spice Girls. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I seem to get the call for 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 anything to do with these ladies, which I totally dig. It's always great to talk about anything to do with the Spice Girls. I love them so very much. I think you're probably an honorary Spice Girl at this point. Gosh, I hope so. I, I, I mean, I, I to be frank, like I, I, I used to think of myself as one of the first, the honorary like Black Spice boy. Uh, Ooh, a lot of respects. <laughs> at least when I was younger, but I think now I'd call myself a a Spice guy, Spice lad. Mm-hmm. Like I think you heard it here, so it's official. Oh, first well, Black I'm... Spice lad. We've got him here tonight, folks. <laughs> awesome, Make, making history tonight. <laughs> Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to make history, especially that way. That's right. (laughs) So, well, tonight we're talking about the film Spice World, which I realized uh, when we set this up, didn't actually have a soundtrack proper. That's correct. um, And I guess the album Spice World filled in for that. So, Quentin, can you tell us a little bit about the history uh, then of this film? Yes. Uh, so um, just to give some context, like there's what I call the um, what I call the uh, sort of the imperial period of the Spice Girls in terms of their presence, both in popular culture and as the artist. So I'd say from about 1996 to about uh, early 2002, um, that was when the Spice Girls were sort of that was the, the peak of their activity um, mm-hmm. again, as recording artist. Uh, group and individual, you know, sort of what would come after that. They had like a wilderness period and then sort of the reformations. But that particular pocket was when the Spice Girls enjoyed their most broad sort of sense of um, visibility. So in the second year of that stretch, 1997, was arguably one of their their busiest. So by this point, they had already conquered most of, you know, obviously their, their home country, the United Kingdom, all of Europe, all of Asia. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then finally North America sort of, you know, fell to their charms. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, the Spice album had already been out, like I said, in those previous territories. So they were already brainstorming the second album and sort of in conjunction to the second album, which uh, Spice World, as it was to be titled, they were wanting to embark on a feature film. It was something they just always had an interest to do. They all of the girls are fans of the Beatles' Hard Day's Night. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was something they thought that they would like to do. And uh, some people may or may not know this. Four of the five of them were trained in sort of the in the theater arts. You know, they all went to those sort of schools. They had that kind of background. So it was something that, that I think they all, yeah, only Jerry was the only one who was not formally trained. Um, but that was something they had an interest in doing. And so um, as they were writing and recording the second album, they were also shooting that film, I think, and began in like late spring of 1997 and went up through to probably the end of the summer of that year. And then they basically queued up everything at the same time. The album would would sort of pr- would drop first in November. And then the film was released, I believe, on Boxing Day in the United Kingdom. And then we got it in the States in January mm-hmm. of 1998. And the film, while at the time not critically well received by some, was a, a commercial success and then has gone on to become a, just a huge cult classic. Yeah, I can I can see that. It was weird, though, because we actually struggled to find it streaming. I was very yes, surprised it wasn't yes. like on even on something like Tubi, yeah, which kind of deals in cult classics. Wow. It it is interesting because it, it's funny you mentioned that the girls um, have recently consolidated a lot of things. They they have a very tight rein on their music and stuff. The bulk of their the, all of their group work was recorded on the Virgin label, Virgin Records, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. they've been you know they just did the reissue of their first album last year, I believe. The second reissue of uh, or their excuse me. The reissue of her second album is coming out later this year in the fall. Um, and they they did a repack of the film just on DVD back in uh, 2007, around the time of their first reunion. But there has not been a full, proper sort of, I think, reissue of the movie since then physically. And as you said, it's not available on any streaming platforms yet. So I don't know if maybe they're ironing out some of the... Um, the not royalties what's the term i'm looking for like rights issues yeah licensing things like that might be something where they're working out some of the licensing because i um i want to say it was columbia pictures who um kind of greenlit that here i don't know if that was also in the uk but um i'm sure it'll be i have a feeling it'll be on streaming platforms later this year just to put it on the criterion collection Yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, like that's that's interesting though because like it's it's kind of a a, a cult classic in the true sense right now because it is unavailable to stream anywhere. And you know we were able to find a copy and and watch it for this show, but it's 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 very difficult right now. And so I I would love for that to to get a true like HD release at some point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I always tell people because I'm someone like I, I embrace streaming technology, but I am a physical media guy. I know You're on the right podcast. Is. For me, you know, I always say not everything is streaming. So, you know, yeah. I have my original DVD release of the movie uh, back from 1998. And then I also have the the one I mentioned, the one they did in 2007. And I still have my VHS copy from when I was. Yeah, I think my sisters had the VHS copy. Yes. All right, Joe, uh, segue. All right. Yeah, well. Bye. 
billboarding school is is traditionally the the segment of the show that I like the most, where I just talk about stats and numbers for ten to fifteen minutes. Um, so, like you said, the Spice Girls movie Spice World never officially had an original soundtrack album. So I used the Spice World album as my case study for billboarding school this week. <clears throat> Uh, so the album hit the Billboard 200 on November 22nd, 1997. It debuted at number eight on the charts. Uh, the number one album that week was Mace's Harlem World. I don't and... know what that is. <laughs> I do. <laughs> is that how? How is that as an album? <laughs> I mean, I Mace was a part of of, of the Bad Boy collective mm-hmm. like sean p diddy combs so right. i mean it was i mean he was cool i enjoyed a lot of his stuff it was good radio fair and he did a lot of guest features with people i liked, like mariah carey and brandy so right he, oh, of God. the time but it, it, it's good hip-hop sort of and of, of the of the period for people okay. who grew up with that so yeah that was a very big record um okay cool that sounds worth exploring the top uh official soundtrack that week at number 14 was the soundtrack to the film soul food Oh, yes. Um, but the album Spice World spent 74 weeks on the charts from November of 97 to May of 99. It fell off the charts uh, May 1st of 99. The number one album that week was Nas's I Am. Okay. And the top soundtrack at number seven was The Matrix. So we went from Soul Food to The Matrix. And in that, in that <laughs> window of time, Spice World was on the charts. <laughs> I love it. And then, uh, so as far as the movie goes, the movie opened in the U.S. in January of 98, opened number two at the box office, right behind Titanic, which was in its sixth week at number which one. Which is our nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also just ahead of Goodwill Hunting in its eighth week. And speaking of Ben Affleck, the only other new release in the top ten that week was a little movie called Phantoms. Oh, that was a bomb in Phantoms. <laughs> I, that's what I've heard. <laughs> Leave Schreiber was in that. That was a Dimension Films flick. If yes. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, according to Wikipedia, Spice World made a hundred million dollars on a twenty-five million budget. So it it was definitely, definitely became a hit for sure. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah, that's all of the the stats that I have for this album. So, uh, Libby, take it away. So, Quentin, tell me a little bit about how you got into the Spice Girls. Like, what's your history oh, with them? <laughs> oh gosh. It's always interesting. So, I mean, I'm 37. So, um, I am truly like I was a a true child of the 90s because, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the 80s, I was experiencing it sort of. um, I remember certain touchstones and things, but I cognitively experienced the 90s, obviously, as a whole in terms Mm -hmm. of watching things start and go from there. So, when I first heard the Spice Girls, they were like every other sort of act that I enjoyed on on major radio. At the time, I enjoyed them as a, as a radio band. They were interesting. But they didn't really sound like anyone I had ever heard of before. Um, so I, I was very curious about them. And But I'd say for the first part of their – when they broke in the States in 97, I just was kind of, again, observing them as any other act of the period, kind of like Mace, mm-hmm. Hanson – um, the Goo Goo Dolls, any of the, I'm just pulling out different names here, Celine Dion, yeah. Carrie, anyone who was just doing records at that time. But it was Spice Up Your Life that effectively sort of changed both the, tra- tra- the trajectory of my personal and professional life forever because my father had tried to, God love him, force me into playing football in junior high. Oh, boy. 12 at the time. <sighs> it was the beginning of my seventh grade year. And um, the particular field that we played in, was not very well kept and it was a lot of ragweed and dirt 
And so I had a bad reaction and my eyes got all puffy and swelled shut. And so I remember laying in my bedroom and uh, just got in this bedroom because we had just moved into this home. My brother and I had shared a room up until this point. And I remember the DJ on Z93 here in Dayton, which is now defunct, um, talking about the Spice Girls new singer Spice of Your Life. And I remember hearing sort of the, the, the carnival roar that builds at the top of the song. And then the drums that sort of introduce the track and then they kind of come in. And I'm listening to this and, you know, I knew who they were at this point, but I had never heard anything like this before. It was like this huge moving carnival kind of thing. And it was just really, really like crazy. And I was just so interested in that. And I sat up and I went to my radio, I turned it up and I just kind of sat there spellbound. And it was um, one of the most transformative moments of my life. Oh, and I love then, that. <laughs> so at this point, I, my curiosity built and it built. And then basically on my 13th birthday, March 9th, which, by the way, was the same date that the Spice Girls issued their third single from the album in the United Kingdom and Europe, Stop. It also <laughs> became their first single to break their run of consecutive number one singles. Oh no. At the time, it came in at number two. It was a Jason Nevins remix of a Run DMC song that escapes me that stopped them from getting in at number one. But Judge Stephen Fry's curse came true. Oh no. <laughs> oh yes, yes. You have been found guilty of releasing a single that is by no means as kicking as your previous records, nor does it have such a wicked, dirty, fat bass line. You are sentenced to having your next record enter the charts at number 179 before dropping straight out the following week. <laughs> Call Halty and the Bluefish. No, but okay. <laughs> I, um, so I ended up buying on March 13th my first album ever, which was Spice World. And um, it changed my life. It was the first record that I studied from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. And I played that record so much, it basically snapped in two and I ended up replacing it three more times before I ended up with the final copy that I have now. And um, it just, you know, I already had a decent musical foundation, like my parents, who were pretty young when they had my brother and I um, raised he and I on a steady diet of when Top 40 was great. So like I, I grew up with Hall & Oates, yes. Phil Collins, Madonna, Michael and Janet Jackson, Gloria Stefan, Seal. Um, this is why Don we're Zapata. pals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I already, and then we were a big music family. So I was exposed to great soundtracks and, and, and film scores. People like Elmer Bernstein, Ghostbusters, and John Williams, and mm -hmm. Danny Elfman. So the Spice Girls kind of were the perfect act to make, that I was primed to receive an act like the Spice Girls who were so musically interesting. And so to sort of jump ahead, when they receded from the American scene, right as internet culture was coming in, I stayed with them. So they continued to be popular and to make moves in the United Kingdom in 99, 2001, and 02. And I began importing those records, the, the, the solo records that they were doing. And of course, I bought their third and final studio album. And I stayed with them. And they were sort of my gateway to British music and British music culture and British pop culture. And so, and I've been an active fan ever since, 24 years now. So long story short, they're the reason that I grew up to want to study music, to want to write about music. And uh, I love them very much. Oh, so. that's wonderful. That makes me really happy. Uh, <laughs> I have to ask, do you have a favorite Spice Girl? 
I um, cannot pick just one because now at 37, I love all five of them for for different reasons. But Mm -hmm. at the beginning, in the beginning, um, I loved Melanie C. Because Melanie had an intensity to her that I just loved. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever you watched her, she just had such a a fire. I remember seeing her in the Too Much video and just her eyes and the movement. She just just gave you 110% every time. And she was very, there was a lot of conviction there, a lot of passion. And uh, I loved that about it. It just, it, 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 it connected immediately. But like I said, as I continue to follow the, the girls, I love all five of them for different reasons. They're, they're all, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, that's, that's what makes them great. All right, Joe, it's your, uh, oh. it's your connection with the Spice Girls. Oh, no. Well, I mean, when the Spice Girls really broke big in 97, when I first became aware of them, uh, I think that was when I was really starting to d- get into, like, punk rock and hardcore, like, rock music. And I didn't have much room in my heart for things like the Spice Girls. So a lot of it just kind of passed me by. I was aware of a lot of it, but it was very much like not the scene for me. I guess at a certain point when you become an adult, you you start to realize that like caring about a scene isn't really that important and you can just enjoy music for what it is. And like in my mid twenties, I got really into pop music and sort of started kind of going back and catching up on things that I'd missed. And part of that included the Spice Girls. So uh, I don't really have much of a connection there, but all, all I'll say is like, uh, as a 35 year old man, yeah, I, I get it now. I understand it. I'm I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> so a, a lot of the music in this movie and on this, I guess, de facto soundtrack, it was new to me, except for you know the, the handful of singles that have been around forever. But yeah. I I can't say I disliked any of it to be honest. Yeah, it's it's hard not to not to get into it before we go on to that backing up uh joe favorite spice girl oh melanie c no question okay next question (laughs) (laughs) no um i i fall between the two of you i i was in my late teens when this came out still in high school but i had younger sisters and my sister laura was really at the exact right age uh, for this to hit. And I was a very serious teenager. Uh, I've talked about being sort of a goth girl before. I was really into the Smiths and other like 80s British post-punk bands. So I thought the Spice Girls were sort of silly and frivolous. And uh, But I deep down, I think I really liked them because I remember seeing the video for Say You'll Be There and the video for Spice Up Your Life and being like, I want to dress like that every day, but not sort of being able, not being ready to admit it. So I didn't sort of let myself like them until, like you, Joe, I got over my scenester bullshit in college because <laughs> I know I've got um, Spice Up Your Life on a couple mixes that I made in college. I do love them now, and I'm... My friend Corey, who's a Record Saturday follower, sent me, uh, I think, their greatest hits on vinyl, whatever the, the Target one was. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very pleased with that. And, and we have played that on Record Saturday. Nice. So basically, like, just judging from the, the three uh, answers on this podcast, 
nobody dislikes the Spice Girls. You were either on board from the start or you got over yourself later in life and admitted, yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs> That's why they're one of the biggest bands in the world. I mean, how can yeah. you not like them? They're uplifting and they're fun. But without being sort of silly, I guess, or like daft, like you like lyrically, they're quite smart and they have really positive messages. Which Absolutely. Just, Absolutely. Yeah. That's their, just, their musical. I think that's always been the strength I've said they've possessed is that. Yes. I think there was actually uh, they did a documentary um, when they toured the States. Long story short, I just there was a gentleman who was an adult and they were actually in Ohio at the time at the Polaris Amphitheater uh, interviewing uh, in Columbus, interviewing people. And this adult, this gentleman said that he liked them because they had variety. It wasn't just bebop, you know, it had lyrics and things and he could hear it and appreciate that. And he said, I'm kind of old fashioned that way. And I think that sort of cross-generational appeal that it could appeal to children, to teenagers, to young adults, to adults is because the music was there at the core underneath all of the, the den of the, the phenom and, and pop culture stuff. It's just good music and mm-hmm. it resonates with people. It still resonates with people, I think. Yes. Does somebody want to ask me what my favorite Spice Girl, who my favorite Spice Girl is? Libby, who is your favorite Spice Girl? That would be Ginger Spice. I knew it. I knew <laughs> you were going to say Jerry. Who will be 50 this year? The first. I know. I can't believe she looks amazing. Bones. I was going to say, my sister's always kind of thought of me as like posh Spice, but I'm definitely more, uh, more Ginger. I'm, you know, kind of vibrant and fun. And I think she's probably like the horniest of all of them. So <laughs> as is my reputation. Wow. (laughs) All right. So are we ready to talk about uh, Spice World, the movie? Yes, let's do it. So the first song that we hear as the movie kicks in is Too Much, which introduces all of our Spice Girls. And Libby, should we go to a clip? I think we should. All right. Too much of something is bad. James Bond-esque credit sequence. <laughs> that, that was the, the first silhouette. note that I took. The first question I had was, is this a James Bond movie? Well, when Graydon's pitching the movie, he pitches a, a spy movie. And I was like, you know what? That's about the only thing that could bring me back to the James Bond franchise right now is if all five Spice Girls were in it. <laughs> and all of them were James Bond. <laughs> not, not just one you know, girl James Bond, five girl James yes. Bonds. Get the butts in the seats, people. (laughs) Um, But it's funny how many of these songs I think I'd heard and internalized because I instantly knew this one Um, and sort of knew this sequence. My sisters used to watch this movie a lot and quote it. So I think I must have maybe seen it in parts. But this song is so luxurious and so velvety and jazzy. And I love the the line, what part of no don't you understand? I want a man, not a boy who thinks he can. It's like, that's a really <laughs> severe burn. That's like the sharpest, hottest burn I've ever heard in my life. And just in case it wasn't enough, they repeat it like twice. <laughs> just so just so you know. Just so you know, like that, whoever that is, is just withering to ash somewhere on the internet. <laughs> 
such a great, great song. Um, that was a massive step up for them. That well, the whole record and the singles, but that in particular, I think I described it in the in my book as a duop pastiche. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really beautiful strings, and it was their biggest hit single from that album in the states because uh, I think Spice of Your Life kind of confused um, radio here in the in, in stateside where it was huge internationally. But too much was very successful in the states. It was like U.S. number nine. It was a top ten hit for them. It was very, very successful on well, pop hits, and adult stations. Yeah, I guess it also kind of hits that like mom Barbara Streisand contingent as well. It's like mothers and daughters can listen together. Yeah, it's an adult song. It's that it just mm-hmm. it, it it but it's but it's not so adult that it's like starchy or stuffy mm-hmm. um, that someone young would want to listen to it. Yeah. I can't think of a band that recognizes the diversity of their audience as well as the Spice Girls, because you really could listen to it no matter who you were. Absolutely. I I don't say that sort of lightly or even trying to be cheesy or butt kissy. Like it sounds as good to me as an adult as I think it would have as a teenager in a way, like sometimes you go back and you listen to the bands that were popular when you were a teen. You're like, okay, this is corny, but this is a solid ballad. It is. It's it's definitely, I think, one of their best. I've always resented the fact that I felt that that this was of all the songs they did, this was one I think that was deserving of like, and I don't say this often, a Grammy nod stateside. And yeah. it's really a shame that I think some critics really just were so kind of hard nose that they couldn't acknowledge a really great pop song and no and it no, and nothing on radio at the time sounded like that nobody no. that. it was a you know the, the string charts and if you you ever have the chance to listen um there's an orchestral version where you just get to hear the, the strings primarily oh, it's really 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 beautiful and um just it's just it's fantastic it's a, it's a it's a it's one of my favorite songs that they've ever done it's really great it seems like a very intimate concert, though, that they're putting on. Like, it's not Royal Albert Hall. It seems like it is much more intimate. And it's a very polite audience. Well, they're performing We're, it for uh, Top of top of the Pops. Yeah. They're, they're doing it like a TV performance. Okay. But but that still, explains. I mean, the, the point the point still stands. Like, it's, <laughs> there's only a few people they're actually singing to. But they're broadcasting it all over television. Yes. And we get to see Elton John. He stops by for like the cameo of all cameos. Like he really just comes in like, you were great. And then leaves. <laughs> I, I love how, how kind of halfway flustered he gets when they, you know, they they shower him with kisses and then they walk away and he just looks at the camera like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Everyone gets flustered at the Spice Girls. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but meanwhile, uh, Alan Cumming as uh, Piers is stalking them. Oh, love him in that. He's so, so funny. What is it? They will come stampeding down this corridor. Yeah, they just crazy walk right like past. Of, of, of energy, which of course has become their trademark. And as they're going by, I love how Victoria's like, why are we going out the back way? You know? <laughs> Sorry, my bad British accent. <laughs> That's okay. There's going to be plenty of them. <laughs> we will all have one bad British accent before we get done with the show tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. And... They're uh, signing autographs for their fans and, you know, kissing everybody's cheek and generally just being extremely British. Um, And we hear our next song, which is Do It. Uh, Let's do it. (laughs) 
So this is arguably, in my opinion, lyrically, probably one of the most um, serious and message intent songs on the record and one of the most message intent songs that the girls have ever done. Because when you, like, against the backdrop of the movie, you just hear this sort of kind of, and I'm not disrespecting the track, but in the context of the film, it just kind of comes along as a little ploppy number. It's mm-hmm. kind of plodding along and sort of as a, a backdrop as the girls are kind of having their banter. But when you listen to this track, it's, you know, it's deep. Uh, that line, um, when Melanie B sings, I will not be told to keep your mouth shut, keep your legs shut, get back in your place. Mm-hmm. That was, I remember just that, that was just the amount of, female energy and strength and basically what the message are saying, you know, to, to be yourself, to push back against anyone trying to, to sort of uh, marginalize you if you're, if you're a girl or a woman. And then obviously I think anyone who is other can pro- like with me being black and queer, you can find ways to project yourself onto that because that message carries through the song. Yeah. And I like that even though they're addressing serious topics, like pushing back against that kind of, um, attitude they're they're giving an attitude in return of positivity but firm but firmness in their belief you know mm-hmm. you know go on and do it don't care how you look just how you feel and in the middle eight you know they'll say you might do the you might do the wrong things for the right reason don't just do the right thing to be pleasing i can say for me hugely impactful at 13 that was just it it really resonated and i was so happy when they brought that back out for their second reunion tour in 2019. Have you and seen them in concert? I have. I saw them. Oh, so jealous. I saw them on the first reunion tour they did in Long Island, Long Island, New York at Nassau Coliseum. I was February 8th, 2008. Left side of the catwalk front row. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. I almost passed out within the first 10 minutes. But I, um, <laughs> but I held it together. <laughs> but it was an amazing show. So get us tickets next time I want to go. Um, yeah, <laughs> this one musically, it didn't land as hard with me because it sounds like it could be something like Bewitched or some other sort of girl pop one hit wonder that really they brought to the mainstream. You know, ev- all of a sudden they were trying to sign all these these female pop acts. Um, but lyrically, it is 100% Spice Girls and it's such a killer and I I wish it hooked me a little more than it did and I wish I'd had this track when I was a young woman because I think it would have been impactful although it's impactful for me at 39 because mm-hmm. you know you need to hear this at times and as I'm listening to it it seems like this delightful little artifact and sort of these last gasps of pop feminism that we're having before the early 2000s misogyny just turned on us like a fire hose. So, you know, everything that we said about Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, Britney versus Christina, and just all that, that casual misogynistic garbage that we all got hit with. Mm -hmm. And so hearing this, it's just like, wow, there was a time when one of the most popular songs in the world was genuinely about being who you are and you don't have to necessarily be sexy and skinny and wear low-rise jeans and wriggle all over the place. 
Like you can just be whoever you are if you want to wear low rise jeans or not. There were a few points there I thought you you made that were great. Um, I actually think a lot of the misogyny and a lot of the anti-female sentiment that arose in that time actually I think was in response to acts like the Spice Girls. I think oh, they, I guarantee they invoked a lot of ire because mm-hmm. they were women, because they were commercially successful, and because despite a lot of um, misinformation, they were in creatively involved and invested in the work that they did, which incensed people, particularly male pundits, even more because they couldn't dismiss oh, yeah. the product. Mm-hmm. And also because they were so beautiful and sexy, but not in a male gaze kind of way. Yeah, it was everything. It was very self-contained. I think a lot of that, I know Melanie C is re- reflected on that in recent interviews where she said a lot of that came from them being strength in numbers. So because mm-hmm. they had that sort of sisterhood bubble, that kept them from sort of like they experienced sexism, but they were able to kind of push back against it because they were a united front. So mm-hmm. no one could sort of take them on as a unit because there were five. Yeah. And so, um, but there was one point I wanted to raise about the, the, you mentioned musically. I think the thing about this song sonically is that it's a lot of, some of the, the deep cuts on this record are sort of almost deconstructed in a way. They're a bit lighter, mm-hmm. more groove oriented. The yeah. first record was more beat oriented um, and that's a whole other separate conversation. But it, there are a lot of different interesting flourishes here. Like there's a few cool kind of 70s R&B touches like the organ yes. that it up. Um, but then you've got like a really interesting kind of like really sort of tight uh, kind of like synth line kind of beat. So it's a, the, the, the emphasis is on the groove, the melody, and then, you know, the vocal and lyrical performance. But I could see where compared to maybe some stuff from the first record or even the singles that were presented from this album that it might have come off as slight. But I kind of liked the more kind of lean element of that because it uh, it added a different dimension to them. And continuing where they would go as a group and then individually it just added to more of the sort of the larger canon of what the Spice Girls would do musically. Sorry, that was my music nerd coming out of it. No, and I, that's that's why we brought you on. And and in that way, it's one of those things, like, I don't know if I'd pull this track to listen to on its own. I certainly wouldn't skip it. But being able to recognize that they can do this as well as they can do sort of that beat-oriented music speaks very highly to them as musicians. Yeah, I mean, I think they, I mean, their strength, I think definitely, you know, they knew they had two major production cliques they worked with. You had um, the Absolute Boys, which was Andy Watkins and Paul Wilson. And then you had Mm. Richard Stannard and Matt Rowe, those two Mm -hmm. cliques. They had a few other writers in between, you know, Elliot Kennedy, uh, Mary Wood. And then, you know, they wrote it, they wrote the bulk of their material, pretty much everything Mm -hmm. they did, they wrote. So they knew exactly how they wanted to sound vocally production wise. And I think they were able to implement that across um, the expanse of this particular project. Um, yes. There's no wrong answers here. And again, I'm so glad that, that we have you because now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, you know, I should go back and, and listen to that the, with what you said. So thanks for that. Oh, no worries. And I think <laughs> I always keep in mind the beauty of music is that we all hear it differently. Yes. You know, everyone's going to hear things differently. And there's, and like you said, there's not really a right or wrong answer. We all are going to sort of share where we're coming from because we're bringing our own experiences and things to it. Mm-hmm. Wow. And our own, our own backgrounds. But exactly. Good. Um, 
they get on their tour bus, which is cooler than any house I've ever lived in. <laughs> I need a swing in my car. Um, I love just like their little separate compartments. Super cute. I love that the bus driver is Meatloaf. Yes. <laughs> that alone. He's he like a lot of people. This way, he just plain loves them. He loves the Spice Girls to death. <laughs> yes. And um, Richard O'Brien is in this, too. So uh, I guess my question to you, Quentin, is uh, is Spice World a sequel to Rocky Horror Picture Show? Um. Oh wow. I don't think like officially, but there's definitely some connective tissue there. Probably a little bit of connective tissue. <laughs> so I was watching this with my girlfriend Nikki, and later on when they're in a you know they're hanging out in a mansion, and Richard O'Brien pops up out of the toilet, she just screamed, "Riff Raff came out of a toilet!" <laughs> Nikki, it's wonderful. Nikki's favorite Spice Girl. I don't know, but she wanted me to make sure that I, I told y'all that this this was the movie that like her first dream job was to grow up and be a Spice Girl. So she was very invested in us watching this last night. <laughs> but anyway, so here and here's like where the plot starts to come together, because like we've got three different, I guess, groups of men trying their, one way or another to derail the Spice Girls. You got, uh, I guess, their their manager, who's played by Richard E. Grant who is reporting to Roger Moore for some nefarious purpose. I'm not entirely sure what that purpose is. <laughs> it's just clearly they hate the Spice Girls. Uh, then you've got, you got George Went and Mark McKinney trying to pitch a Spice Girls movie, having absolutely no clue what to do with them whatsoever. And then you've got Alan Cumming and his film crew trying to just do a documentary about the Spice Girls. And he he seems the least like a threat to me he just wants to get them on camera basically well and then as we find out later there's the editor of yes. the newspaper who wants to destroy them who wants to actually destroy them most of them yes. most of these guys are just trying to wrangle them but the newspaper editor's actively trying to destroy them yes trying to kevin basically... was a kevin mcmaxford yes, yes. yeah and so you, what what you have then is a, a movie where the plot is basically men don't know what to do with the Spice Girls. Yes. Which is beautifully meta that then they made this movie, essentially kind of a hard day's night movie about how men don't respect them and treat them very well. Right. And that's brilliant. Just leaning straight into it because they, they know kind of what their, I guess, public image is in certain parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And they wow. have and they have a blast with it. Um, but then so the next the next song we get is uh, the girls rehearsing for their next concert and they're rehearsing the song Say You'll Be There. Let's go to a clip. Let's do it. joke that this is friend zone the musical um <laughs> <laughs> but and that's just my own internalized misogyny speaking um yep. but for real this song bangs hard even before i gave myself over to the power of the spice girls i was obsessed with every single look in this video and if i could 
get away with wearing like blue satin gloves with every outfit, I would. Ah, I love I love that video. I can name oh all God. of the characters that they played, which it was a homage to the old 60s cult film, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Yes, which uh, I actually have with 3D glasses. My husband bought it for me. It's a very weird Christmas <laughs> I, present. I, you, Libby, that is perfectly, that is in your wheelhouse. I am completely, that's perfect for you. I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, did you guys notice that Jules Holland is the band leader there? I didn't. No. Yes, he's that. He's the band leader, um, and because that was absolutely perfect without actually being any good. Now, what's interesting <laughs> is that that is their actual band, and the gentleman who makes the mistake on the keyboards is none other than Mr. Simon Ellis himself. Simon Ellis would not only play the keys in all of their concerts up through 2007, so that was the '98 tour. The Christmas and Spice World shows in 1999 and their first reunion tour in 2007, 2008. He was the music director for those tours and he would do some co-writing on Emma Bunton's second gold-selling, uh, critically acclaimed solo album, Free Me. Amazing. Nice. But no, this this song, it plays on the Vivo 90s channel a lot and it makes me really happy every time I hear it. <laughs> that I just, I can't get over how slick and groovy it is and it just fills me with joy like i'm smiling just thinking about it just think about that little like synthy riff it's a great track very it dynamic is. and i like and that I, everyone gets a chance to shine yeah and i love that you see this a couple times in the movie where we see kind of the rehearsal version before we see the full version mm -hmm. and it even though they're, you know, they're not really rehearsing. It's a scene from a movie. Like it feels very intimate, and it feels very like, ooh, I'm getting to see like the process. I like. I really. I like that. That's part of this film. Absolutely. I think some, like I said, because I think they were using some of the. the well, the, it was their real touring band. Mm -hmm. um, because I think up to that point. They hadn't done their first concert yet. Their first actual official live show occurred in October of 1997. They did two nights in Istanbul, which that was broadcast on HBO. And at that same time, they would launch Spice of Your Life as the first single. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of pressure on them at that time to deliver. So I think just seeing like how they, they went in from doing the film or they were as they were doing the film, they were bringing in like the real band who they would rehearse with for that tour. So it was a little bit of life imitating art, imitating life or something like something like that. Meta breaking a wall of some sort. You guys are more mm -hmm. probably film experts than me. <laughs> so <laughs> you can put the correct term there. But yeah, I think that's what makes Spice World interesting is because there's a little bit of fact and fiction. And it's just the perfect mix of both. Mm -hmm. And we also meet uh, Nicola. Nicola? Oh, Nicola. Yes. Nicola. Yeah. Yes. So we don't get a whole lot of backstory about them, like whether she's the sixth Spike girl or what, but she's sort of a device for this film. And she is very pregnant. Her husband or boyfriend, Trevor, left her, that son of a bitch. And baby is overdue. So we've got a little bit of a ticking clock here. Yeah, she's great. Nako Mori, the actress. I loved her in that role. He is. But we see a fast forward to them imagining themselves as frankly terrible parents. <laughs> you know who is the best part in that whole scene? It's Victoria. 
I love it because she's like, thank God for boarding school. I only see why once a month. But what's funny is they pan out. And so all the girls backs are to her, right? And she's sitting down. You can't see her. She just goes like, cheers. But like, who's she saying cheers to? There's like no one looking at her. At the moment. <laughs> she's so drunk. She's cheering herself. It's hilarious. They're all jealous because she got rid of her problem. <laughs> But yes, uh, we get to hear a second take of Say You'll Be There. And we get to hear that, like, that dirty, fat bass line that we all know and love. Mm -hmm. For real this time. Yes. And they're talking about how they're uh, set to conquer the globe. I, for one, welcome our girl power overlords. (laughs) Absolutely. But we here we meet the journalist character who's very tired of writing about the Spice Girls. This is an incredibly silly scene. They're planning to wreck the Spice Girls to sell more papers. And it's raining in the office for some reason. Oh, I never got why that happens. I don't know. I'll find someone, Kevin. I just wish you wouldn't get so upset. Yes, and it's raining. And I don't <laughs> I don't get it. This movie gets really weird in places. Like, it just doesn't care. It's it's very Looney Tunes kind of logic, and you know what? I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fabulous non sequiturs, just incredible. They're also accusing Baby Spice of being able to get away with everything. We get another great cameo from uh, Hugh Laurie mm-hmm. uh, as yeah. Inspector Perot. He's saying that you know the body has been shot several hundred times. He goes through the butler and the priest and everyone else, and we see Baby Spice just loaded. <laughs> bear armed to the teeth <laughs> yes and he accuses the vicar of the murder she really can get away with everything this is this is basically like a sketch comedy kind of movie where there's really no major through line it's just kind of an excuse for jokes but all the jokes are great <laughs> yes every single joke lands and so they have this photo shoot coming up but they're sad because they feel like they want to break free of being ginger, being posh, being baby. Uh, one of them recommends being train spotting Spice. It's like, yes. oh, honey, no. <laughs> Especially because they seem to remember Ewan McGregor saying that he hated the Spice Girls. And it's like, fuck you, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Get oh. fucked. <laughs> How dare he? But I love that line, though, because it, it, it all connects to the cool Britannia movement that whether people wanted to admit it or not, they were a part of. Yeah. So even though there were all these different disparate elements, when you look back on that period in Britain, popular culture and specifically British popular culture, they were a part of that alongside oh, train spotting and Austin Powers and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. It just it was this whole sort of weird obsession with British pop culture that was big everywhere and yeah um, this this yeah. sudden wave as we talked about in our austin powers episode of specifically swing in 60s london yes so hang on wait a second so the scene where richard o'brien climbs out of a toilet is that in fact a reference to train spotting a film that had just come out the year before maybe they're That's... really going on all in, all in on the train spotting thing i don't know we're saying yes <laughs> we're gonna say yes <laughs> But anyway, uh, what we're saying is here's Saturday Night Divas.
I feel like when I hear this one, uh, I really just want to put on some roller skates. There's a lot of roller disco on this album. Yeah. I really just want to wear bell bottoms and a halter top and go roller skating, something I have never done. But like in my head, I'm like, time to roller skate. I do love roller skating. But I and I love halter tops, don't love bell bottoms, but we'll work something out. <laughs> but it's I love like this but song. also sultry, yeah. It's like sultry disco. This is a, I, as the kids say, a bob. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said it so dryly. It's great. That's very Victoria Beckham of you. <laughs> but I, um, I kind of think it's got like a cool, a kind of a late, kind of eighty synth funk, maybe like a pinch of maybe like a new Jack Swing. But it, it but because yeah, the bass work on it is so funky. That's where the disco, some of the mm-hmm. the the or the or the or I was even just the general clubbiness comes from. But it's yeah. a very interesting track because again, it's very tight and sparse. Similar in terms of like the beats, very like linear. But it's all the stuff that's built around the beat, the bass line, the the programming, mm-hmm. the sense. And the harmonies and things that are really interesting. And I love this song because when we, oh, Victoria opens up the first verse. Yeah. So that's why I and love it. Talk about a Saturday Night Diva. I mean, she's really kind of the the queen of the Spice Girls divas. Well, she, I will say this, she fit really well into that sort of late, that sort of that sort of pastiche of late 80s synth, synth the R&B. Mm-hmm. And that's something that she would go on to extrapolate on her solo debut a few years later. Yes. That yes. You know, She was into all that stuff like Janet Jackson and Vanessa Williams. And those are people that she's admitted to being a fan of their music. So yeah, mm-hmm. great track. Yeah, I really, I did enjoy this one. Um, and it isn't something that I think I would have picked out on a first listen. But kind of the the more I listened to it, I I got to really kind of thinking about it and thinking about all those influences. And yeah, like you said, it's got all these different little pieces, a little New Jack Swing and a little 80s synth and a little disco. And that is one of the things, and we've kind of touched on this, uh, in the late 90s, you could do that mm-hmm. because we hadn't found sort of that next sound like grunge radio stations were still looking for that you could try out all these different elements and throw them all together yeah and and i feel in a lot of ways like we've lost that but um it's it's definitely on full display here and across this album they're trying to do a lot and i really really respect that yeah, just jumping from like different modes of like what pop music can be from different eras and kind of mixing them in together and seeing what works and what doesn't. And more often than not, it works. Yeah, and never with a sort of a corny uh, pastiche. Like, oh, now we're doing, now here's our disco track. Here's our, you know, neo swing track. Here's our, like, it. it's never so much of any one piece that it feels like a costume. Yeah, like you, you never get the sense that they're above any of it, you know, mm-hmm. like they're all deeply invested in in the sound. Yeah. And I think they all come from a, a variety of backgrounds. Exactly. So they mm-hmm. can pull that. They all had different interests, I think, where 
um, they wanted to bring across those different sounds, whether it was like cabaret show tunes, um, mm-hmm. R&B, disco, pop, Motown, Latin. It's all those different disparate elements. Uh, everyone sort of, it's all coming together to paint one picture, sonic picture, for lack of a better term. Yeah. But I do love, uh, I love a good photo shoot montage. They're all, they pretend to be each other. They're trying on these different characters. So the characters uh, from Greece, they got Marilyn Monroe, Twiggy, Elvis, Wonder Woman. Um, it was, <laughs> I think I, I've been ranting about, um, you know, cameos and extended universe all weekend for a movie about rodents that shall not be named. Um, but it was still kind of fun to see them, you know, dressing up as Wonder Woman or dressing up as Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> but I, I especially like the end of that sequence where all the Spice Girls are, are, agree that each other's costumes are, are terribly uncomfortable. And then it gets to Jerry, who has to admit that actually Sporty Spice's uh, outfit is quite comfortable. I'm keeping it. <laughs> She's like, don't even think about it. I love that. I think the best line in that is when Mel B is doing Jerry and says, um, blah, 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 girl power, feminism, do you know what it means? Which <laughs> just, just always takes me out every time. Like I've never <laughs> seen it when I see it. It's just hilarious. It's just like, whoa, dial it back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we then meet uh, our paparazzi photographer, Damien, played by Richard O'Brien. Mm-hmm. We don't meet him so much as we learn that he exists. He can get you a picture of Fergie sucking toes, um, which anyone who followed British royal scandal at the time will recognize that. Uh, a Teletubby taking a poo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or um, he actually has uh, pictures of Kevin McMaxford picking his nose that morning and um, kissing a girl behind the garden shed when he was a child. He He's 12. the best in the business. We also get. Um, Stop Right Now plays on the bus where we get some more weird announcements from their boss. Now hear this. Now hear this. After using the showers, could people please pick up the clumps of hair in the plug holes? It's unhygienic and can lead to flooding. My friends, can't you just tell us normally? (laughs) (laughs) I love his weird announcements from like his strange radio control room. It's all so surreal. His secret lair deep within the bowels of the bus. (laughs) (laughs) But um, stop right now. Well, let's let's go to a clip. So yeah, Stop is a song that I really love. Um, It was actually the final single for Spice World in America. They only released three commercial singles from the record here, Spice of Your Life, Too Much, and Stop. The fourth and final single for the campaign, Elsewhere in the World, Beyond Forever, was not released in America commercially. So, um, and Stop also had the unceremonious duty of being um, released a few months after it was released in Europe. Europe got it in March of 1998, the 9th, my 13th birthday. <laughs> and it, as I said earlier, it broke their run of uh, number one hits, came in at number two. 
um, they were at, they were touring at the time, so they weren't able to promote it as much as they would have liked. But it was released in June of '98 after Jerry had departed the fold on May 31st. Oh, or excuse me, May 29th, Melanie B's birthday, and it was formally announced to the public on May 31st. Um, but we got a happy ending. So, yeah, we already know. We Everyone knows that listening. And we end up having a happy ending with all that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, in the film, it's great because it's just, it's a, it's another track that, you know, again, it acts as a great sort of, uh, you can either hear it as like a track that it pulls you in, you're interested in hearing it, or you can hear it as sort of, sort of a cool background thing that's happening as the dialogue is going on as they go to this press party to promote, you know, their forthcoming show. Mm-hmm. Um I love the track because it's done in a very classic, you know, Holland Dozier Holland Supremes Motown vein. It's really mm-hmm. well done. And it actually reminds me of their former Virgin Records uh, label mates, Culture Club's take on the Motown sound with Church of the Poison Mind from the Color by Numbers album. Wow. Um, I would not have made that connection. That is, I can hear it. That's amazing. So they're, they're very, Holy very shit. similar in that way. Now as a quick slight, segue just in case you didn't know the same gentleman judd lander who played the harmonica on karma chameleon which was a single from color by numbers played the harmonica on say you'll be there oh but um yeah same guy (laughs) but (laughs) returning to stop it's just a great track great brass great um great tambourine work i personally think this is emma's song to shine she Mm -hmm. just has per it's perfect for her and again this is something that she herself would go on to explore within her solo career across all four of her albums that she's done you know that sort of motown 60s vibe she really leaned into that especially um with her second and third albums uh, yeah i need to so. spend a little more time with their solo stuff i know uh uh look at me and then i know the one that Melanie C. did with Brian Adams, which I'm not going to hold that against her. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I love, again, the messages in these are so empowering, especially with how they relate to men. Just like, bro, chill. Like, you need to step it back, buddy. It's autonomy, yep. Yeah, we can be friends and everything, but you have crossed a weird line. And I wish I'd heard that as a teenager because I think... I especially like wanted to make guys happy. And I think I let guys be creepy stalkers with me. And I wish I'd had that kind of language to be like, "Eh, no, 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 no. You need to take it down about 15%. So, But, But I think the good thing you pointed out, Libby, is that these messages still resonate. And they're yes. cross-generational. So even if you weren't there to get this message when you were a teenager you can still get these messages as adults and they can yeah i'm much meaner as an ways. adult though so i have my own language like fuck you get away from me <laughs> <laughs> which i don't think that's as hooky as stop right now thank you very much but no, it, could it's work. Not. it could be the, the more angry or like kind of sneering punk version maybe it gets the job done yes yeah, if, <laughs> if this was more of a brit pop song that would be perfectly at home i'm just gonna start saying that when dudes go weird in my messages i'm just gonna be like stop right now thank you very much <laughs> so exactly. i need you to leave my dms oh, um, boy. <laughs> but uh yeah so they roll up to this extremely posh party that they don't seem to want to be at posh 
goes back to something that Jerry said. She starts spouting off facts about manta rays and Jennifer Saunders. Um, is like, oh no, I, I love manta rays. I'm wearing manta ray shoes right now. Like, he's my favorite designer. <laughs> um, we see that uh, Scary Spice does Bob Geldof's hair. And... That was Bob Geldof? Yes. I did not know that. Oh, man. <laughs> I think it's a good luck for him. <laughs> we also see their friend again. She asks them to be the baby's godmothers. And they're just about to say yes when they get pulled away for an interview. And they have to leave her. And when somebody asks who she is... She just says nobody. You're like, oh, that's I'm sad. Nobody. I um, I've been Nicola in that moment at parties before. When someone comes up yeah. to me and asks me if I'm part of the spice phenomenon, and I say nobody. <laughs> Excuse me a minute. They just leave me alone. Oh, <laughs> you're part of the OST party phenomenon. You can yeah, have all the pineapple yeah. you want. <laughs> um, have you ever been to a party and someone just comes up to you and says, uh, "Who are you?" And your answer is just, "I, I don't know." <laughs> yes. No. Yes. I don't know. I have never been that, mostly because I'm the one of my friends that throws parties. Because <laughs> I'm the ginger. M- imposter syndrome is just like my life. So whatever. All right. Y'all are coming to my parties from now on. And then when people ask, you could tell them cool answers. You can be like, oh, I'm on podcasts. <laughs> I'm very fancy. I host um, two podcasts. You do. Oh, boy. But they're asking Ginger, or they're asking the Spice Girls, like, do you like men? And Ginger, like me, loves men. She thinks they're wonderful. And her reply is, is the Pope Catholic? Which sets off a whole thing. Which, like, any any sensible person would know, like, oh, that's just an expression. And, of course, you know, she doesn't mean that. But, of course, that's a scandal. Because anybody who wants to make a scandal will make a scandal out of anything. It's very reminiscent of John Lennon saying that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's kind of a, an homage to that. The The way they do Hard Day's Night homages is very meta. But it's weird because I feel like watching this movie in 1997, that wouldn't have landed as hard as it does now. Because now every little thing that anybody says is either taken completely out of context or not taken seriously enough. Oh, no. The Catholic League would definitely throw you know, pitch a fit that the Spice Girls movie doesn't think that Catholics have a sense of humor. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> they would totally do that. Yes, and that's not to be like, oh, cancel culture is destroying everything, but we are very, very, very quick to eat our own. Absolutely. And the other side is even worse about it. So, you know, Joe Biden does one thing and Marjorie Taylor Greene is up there like, Joe Biden wants to murder your whole family. Like, nobody said anything about that. (laughs) She's a disaster. I am. But I have to say, um, we have to get a shout out to Sir the late Sir Roger Moore, one of the good Bonds, who plays chief because in this scene, as the report is coming across, Clifford's like, here we go. The backlash has started, so he picks up the phone and it rings, to which Chief says, When the rabbit of chaos is pursued by the ferret of disorder through the fields of anarchy, it is time to hang your pants on the hook of darkness. Yep. Whether they're clean or not. And we have no idea what this means. It's hilarious. Try saying that next time somebody gives you lip. 
Oh, yes, absolutely. Just I think work it into a conversation. <laughs> I do that with the, the line from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, ah, yes, you need me and I have all the power. And now you see that there is nothing you possess, which I cannot take away. That's I use is. that a lot. We briefly hear two become one in this scene, which all I'll say is that this was way too sexy for teenage Libby, who was listening to a lot of Morrissey. It's just the right amount of sexy for adult Libby. It's romantic and candlelit, and I love it. It was entirely too much for all of the school dances that I attended. I'll <gasps> tell you that. Quentin, any thoughts? I love To Become One. It's a perennial <laughs> classic um, ballad that shows that they could be balladeers and set the stage for all the great ballads they would do across their next uh, few albums and other things. So I love it. It's classic. Yeah. I feel like I don't want to like skip it, but it is, again, it's that sort of background music where we have several performances to get to. Right. And, and two, I think it's mostly because like this song had already come out and they're more, more focused on, I guess, the second album and, and the movie promoting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So it, it makes sense that it's here, but it's not really necessarily the focus. Yes. Because then we get a uh, leader of the gang during a very Italian special, complete with the most absurd set of yacht rock dancers anyone has ever seen. Let's go to a <laughs> What's interesting about the scene, I'm not sure if you guys know, was that they actually recorded this with Gary Glitter. Ooh. And really? Oh, they man. Did. So, but what happened was when all of the, you know, sexual mm. child molestation thing came down, they had to cut and refilm that scene without him. Yes. Because there did. are photos of him on set with the uh. yeah, it, it was, but this is before, no one, this is before, no one knew. Oh that yeah, was going to happen. So yeah, but they they made it work and they did a great cover of it. And I just love the line um, when the dancers come out and Victoria says, "Well, there's so many great lines here, but it's like I know you said this is going to be tacky, but this is tacky." Yeah, I like when Emma's describing. She's like, "Well, I've got two bears and all, like all of her stuffed animals," and she's like, "So there wouldn't be room for you." Oh, and then gets the suntan lotion on her hand and then wax on her skirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gross. But uh, <laughs> this song sounds like it should be played at football matches, like right after New Order's World in Motion. Oh, yeah, great. absolutely. It's a great like, song. Picture it. I really, this honestly should be in Ted Lasso. But it's just got like, it's got crowd energy. Like, obviously, so many of their songs have energy, but this has crowd energy. This has other people energy. This is like singing along with your mate's energy. I'm hoping that with the campaign for the reissue of Spice World 25 later in the year, because this has never been formally released, we know that they clearly went into the studio and they recorded a cover of this for the al- for the for the film, but mm-hmm. it's never it was released on any anything. So a lot of it were just sort of bootlegs cir- circulating from ripped from the film. So hopefully the studio oh. version can invest on the actual Spice World. Um, 25 release as one of the uh, unreleased tracks. 
you know? Yeah. But it's a great, it's great, great driving kind of rock rhythm. I guess it kind of stands in as the move over in, in that sort of as a substitute for that. It has that same kind of energy. Yeah, and it's a way, because it is a great song, but obviously, like, we're not going to hear the original anytime soon. Um, and so it's a good way to sort of reclaim that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. They absolutely make it their own. And we get a compromisation uh, that they will not be shirtless and in tiny shorts. They will have metallic jumpsuits, but with the butts cut out for the live version. And yeah, thongs galore. <laughs> yes. It's very Italian and very tacky. Um, now we get to see Meatloaf as Dennis, their bus driver. Um, and we get a very meatloaf nod because all the toilets are clogged, probably oh. from all the hair. It's impossible. Isn't there something that you can do about them? Like what? Fix them. Listen, I love these girls and I'll do anything for them. But I won't do that. <laughs> and it's such it's it's a completely unnecessary scene. But it's so weird and funny because they go into the woods to pee and they meet aliens. Yes. Like, sure, why not? We've already gone so far off the rails. Like, why not meet some aliens? Yeah, like the movie turns into Scooby-Doo for a minute and it makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, you're like, of course, of course aliens love the Spice Girls. Because they just had the hearings on... Uh, the UFOs, the congressional hearings on UFOs. And I was talking with a friend the other night while we were drinking roasted orange whiskey and it was late at night. And as, as conversations do, we talk about aliens. Um, so I pitched to the two of you when aliens land, because they have to be out there. I mean, it's foolish to think that we're the only creatures in this universe, but should aliens make contact? Are they here to, on friendly or research missions, or are they here to fuck shit up? This is Alien Talk with Libby Cudmore. Quentin. I hope that it's something positive. I don't want crazy, like, stuff. We already have enough crazy stuff happening as it is now, so I'm going to hope for positive aliens. Okay. You think they'd be able to get Spice Girls tickets at Royal Albert Hall? Possibly. I don't know if Gatali Muknachnik, that's the one alien with the four, three or four Ks, which I love that. That's <laughs> um, <laughs> his name or whatever. I think I pronounced it right. Uh, we can hope for the best. Uh, yes. but yeah, we'll get them. We'll get them Spice Girl tickets. I'm sure we'll make okay. it work. We'll work it out. Okay, Joe. My concern is that they will come here in peace looking for Spice Girl tickets, but because of you know whatever time you know time paradox or uh, light speed <laughs> travel that they conduct, they're going to either be too early or too late, and that anger is going to set off an intergalactic war. Is that what happens in Independence Day? They're not able to get Spice Girl tickets, so... So they just lay waste to the place? Yeah, basically. Okay. Well, they should have yeah, booked early. What we're saying is this is really Ticketmaster's fault. Yes. <laughs> but all else fails, blame Ticketmaster. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. They want autographs and kisses like, get! Stop right now. Thank you very much. You're crossing a weird boundary there, aliens. Oh, when the one grabs poor Mel B's chest, she smacks his hands and says, oh, it gets hot. <laughs> Rude. But we also find out that they will not, they will not get the morning off. They are really tired, which is, they think they're hallucinating aliens, although we find out in the credits that they were not. And then what I believe is a Nazi teaches them how to dance. <laughs> Am I reading that right? 
Mr. Step. Mr. Step, yeah. <laughs> but we get two songs here. We get uh, we start with "Never Give Up on the Good Times You Have." So let's go to a clip. Has anyone ever played Luminous on the PlayStation? I have not. One of the big, it's a puzzle game, but it's got this very, very cool soundtrack. And the opening of this song sounds like it should be a Luminous loop. Like it's just got this, this such a really funky feeling. Again, it's one of those kind of roller disco songs. This one really leans into it, into that, that era. Uh, Cause it's got those, like sweet swinging 60s string fills and oh yeah and honestly this song this soundtrack has a better 70s soundtrack than austin powers and gold member that's true why is that so true <laughs> <laughs> like for trying to to like match that sound this one nails it better than Awesome powers and gold member. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with you. Like this, it definitely hits the the dance beat a lot harder and a lot more yeah. successfully. I think. I love that. I love what they do with this. I like because you actually get to hear the track and you get to hear how great the composition is. Um, yes. What I always loved about this song is the bass work, the woodwinds. Oh my god! And there is a frog ribbit that you won't hear here, but if you listen to the song, there's a little ribbit that's like a, a sample <laughs> looped through the track. And um, it's really but why? interesting. I don't know that, right. It just, it just, it, it's just there. But um, <laughs> you just have to go with it. Um, <laughs> why not? But, <laughs> but it's a great track. It, it's, it's got a lot of energy. And I also love when the music comes on, he looked, Mr. Step looks around like, where's this music coming from? <laughs> like, there's no like music on. Cause he tries to do an improvisation to mama. Yeah, song from the front, which is hilarious. Um, but it's it's a great it's a great segue to the, the 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 marching song, which they actually did that on their last reunion tour, twenty nineteen, oh, as a mashup, I think, with Holler and Run the World. Their song Holler from their third album, and mm-hmm. Beyonce's Run the World Girls from Four. Fabulous, because they say they're they all they need is strength and courage and a wonder bra. Wonder bra. I have. Uh, two of those things, I could never quite get the Wonder Bra to work for me. <laughs> I also like how Victoria just basically catwalks through the entire uh, yep. obstacle course to follow and doesn't do anything. Um, because yes. she's got it like that. <laughs> just no time for this. <laughs> and now, am I correct that she does not tour with them? No, it's not that she doesn't. This is the first tour that she has not done with the group. Okay. Um, last time she performed with them was 10 years ago when they did their performance at the London 2012 Olympics. Okay, I knew that because I remember that being a big deal. Mm -hmm. But I knew I didn't think she was on this reunion tour. Yeah, she was. The interesting thing about that tour was it was twenty years removed from the last tour they did as a four piece, which was the Christmas and Spice World tour when Jerry was not with them. Mm -hmm. So they literally just switched twenty years later. Twenty years later, they were still doing. They did a four piece tour, but this time Jerry was there and Victoria was not. So yeah, because I I. Remember hearing that she wasn't going to be on this most recent tour, 
and that I know, I mean, I know they're all still friends and they do the, the wonderful Christmas ads every year, but that she was sort of busy with other things. And so I thought it was very funny. You know, they're saying they need five and the four of them are together in this sort of basic training and she's walking alongside in her catwalk. <laughs> it's sort of foreshadowing to yes. what would really happen. But if you notice, at the end, she brings up the rear. So we know that maybe Victoria could make an appearance one, one more time. Yeah. So we, we, you know, I have faith. Yes, you know? she'll always be there. She'll always be a Spice Girl. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I, um, I actually still have somewhere. Actually, I think I made a journal of it. She did an incredible fashion spread. Um, again, she's not even my favorite Spice Girl, but I love the spread so much that I cut all of it out and um and saved them because i thought they were so beautiful and she really inspired me to buy my first romper because because i saw this fashion spread and she was wearing one and i was like that's it i'm doing it i mean hers from her collection was you know a thousand dollars but i got a betsy johnson one that i sleep in and it just set it all off like now i'm the queen of the rompers well, that that's a that's pretty dang. You're doing you're living a more dangerous life than I I I would. I I couldn't pull off a romper, so <laughs> I say go for well, it. Well, I I owe it all to Posh Spice. That's right. That's right. There <laughs> you go. Forever in my heart. So they stay in a haunted house, and they all have the same dream that they open their mouths at the concert, and their voice doesn't come off, and they don't have a head, and it's all very scary. But they're anxious about this performance. I forget which one says it, but um, they say, you know, dreams are a manifestation of your anxieties. And I absolutely believe that. It's Jerry. Um, it's, it's after Victoria said that she had a dream that was much worse, that she had a head, but there was no makeup on it, which all, I almost pee myself every time I hear that. Because <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. Because <laughs> it's <laughs> the exasperation of Melanie C's face. And Jerry is, oh, no. <laughs> And then she makes her comment about the dream, what she said about that, to which Melanie yeah. rolls her eyes again. No, um, it's so true. But, I can tell uh, when I'm stressed because I have, like, my dreams become these manifestations of my anxieties. I'm with Ginger on this one. But also a nightmare about Richard O'Brien coming out of your toilet. <laughs> so well, he, pu- he publishes the piece the next day that they're the scaredy spice um, thing, much to the yeah. super- of 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 Clifford, who um, is freaking out at the bad press. Yes, well, he should be freaking out about those suits he's wearing. Um, <laughs> and am I correct that it makes the front cover of the Sun? Yes. And that's a garbage newspaper for garbage people. So, um, it no surprise there. They invite some children who want a contest aboard a bus. They steal a boat. They sing My Boy Lollipop. Posh isn't into it. The children fall in the water. And, <laughs> yes. Who is very much not into being in the water. Uh, and uh, Piers goes in as well. Paparazzi catches it all. But, but this this is the incident that, that uh, prompts the girls to go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. At, after the, the boating incident. Um, yes. We also see... The chief, one more time. Does he have a different pet every time we see him? Because yeah, by this point, different. he has yeah. a pig. Yeah, I think the first time it's a cat, like a very uh, a blowfield esque cat. Second time, it's definitely a bunny rabbit when he's giving that speech about uh, the rabbit. And then the third time, it's a pig. <laughs> it's a little baby pig. 
But Clifford promises that he could get four friends and personally dress up dress as Victoria. Up Victoria. <laughs> like, you gonna erase that soul patch there, buddy? Is... No. Oh gosh. <laughs> Let us hope it does not come to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please, God, no. And they're all thinking about their past at this coffee shop with Brian, who's obsessed with jazz the way a lot of white dads are. Um, and they perform Wannabe, mm-hmm. their first big single. Um, and this was the song that really like broke my heart outer shell for the Spice Girls. And my friend Heather and her sister Jenny, uh, really, they like the Spice Girls. And they were the ones that did Record Saturday with me. And we have a joke about this song. We say it in a very silly voice. It's like, oh, please say you'll sing Spice Girls with me. It's a lovely song. And <laughs> so that's what I think about every time I hear this song. And this was the one where I was like, okay, this song actually does rock. And Heather is getting married uh, at the end of the summer. And I'm absolutely quoting this in my Maid of Honor speech. A hundred percent. So because it's so true, I think that's the best sentiment anyone can say about a partner is like, if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. We all have to mesh. You can't be with me if you don't like my friends and vice versa. Well, sisters, sisters before guys, that's the way it should be. Um, Ovaries before broveries. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. It's not mine. It's from Parks and Rec. Um, (laughs) But it's really true. And I think the Spice Girls have lived that. You know, there's never really been any, like, huge scandals around them. You know, there's been the odd little thing of, like, oh, this one's fat. But, you know, they've stayed true to their friendship for however many years. I love that. I think probably the, the only thing that was controversial was... The fact that Melanie B went through a very public, divo- me- messy divorce. Her second husband yeah. was not very kind to her. Yeah, that's and but what that's was not great on was, her? No, oh, no. But what I was, the girls <laughs> rallied around her mm-hmm. and were very supportive. And what was great was recently she was just awarded a MBE, Medal of the British Empire, for her work yes. with Women's Aid Charity for domestic violence. And Victoria Beckham, not only did she design. Melanie B's dress that she wore to be awarded by Prince William. She designed Melanie B's mother's dress and she hosted a dinner for Melanie B. There was a great picture of the two of them together giving each other. It was re- so just that that spice sisterhood 25 years later out mm-hmm. and out of such personal adversity still is there. So it was great to see all of the girls rally around Melanie as yeah. she came out of that because they went on to do the tour right after she divorced her husband. Mm-hmm. So it was a great thing. So just, yeah, it is a real friendship and a real sisterhood. So, yeah. And you don't hear that too often that, you know, people go their separate ways or they hate each other or they form entirely new synth pop acts and make fun of a former member. I'm not talking about electronic, but, you know, they genuinely love each other. And I think that's really beautiful. And that's where we get, um, well, does anybody else want to weigh in on Wannabe? Oh, I mean, it's a classic. What can you say? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's Wannabe. <laughs> and, it's, a and also, it's a Fritz Bernay. <laughs> as, <you know. laughs> 
I guess I'll just say, like, I appreciate the fact that they actually go to the effort of, like, putting on a performance of it in the film and not just using the track that everyone mm-hmm. knows and loves. Because it, it they find a, a use for it that I think is more, more like, I guess, narratively interesting. Like, this is them showing off their new song that they just wrote to their friend. Uh, you know, what do you think? Is this going to make us a star? And I, I like that it's it's a little rough and around, around the edges, you know? Yeah, and he says, uh, it could, you know, be more jazzy. <laughs> it needs more jazz. Oh, you, Brian. <laughs> but uh, Nicola is there, and that's, again, where I was a little confused about her place. Like, invite her to join the Spice Girls. I think she was just like, their, they kind of positioned her as a friend who knew them when. And they yeah. stayed friends right. with her. What's interesting is through when they're showing each of them in the flashback scenes, uh, before one the before the flashback scene cuts in, the song that's playing over each of the girls in their own environments as they're thinking back is Viva Forever. Yes. Which um, was the final single from from the uh, album. It put them back on the number one spot after stop. It brought them their seventh number one while they were touring the states. And it's universally acknowledged as um, the coda of Jerry's departure because that was the single that they were gearing up to release right before she left. So a lot of people sort of see it as, like when I saw them, that's, they perform that and she actually drops down to the stage and they leave the four behind on the stage. But yeah, it's a beautiful track, really great melding of uh, Latin pop and almost like sort of orchestral, sort of orc pop kind of thing. And it's really, really beautiful, very dramatic. You don't yeah, it's, hear it as much in the film as you should, but it's a great song. Yes, and it's um, it's overshadowed, I think, by two things. Um, one, the video for it is horrifying. Oh, you don't like the Wallace and no. Gromit, uh, Stop Motion Fairies by Art no. Motion? I love them. They freak me out. I just like the weird <laughs> little horse thing. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope, does not work for me. But also, uh, we get a great scene with Stephen Fry uh, as a judge, as we talked about before. Um, he yes. accuses him of having a single that doesn't have a fat, dirty bass line. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just so funny to hear him say that. Um, he he uh, sends them off by saying, may God have mercy on your lip gloss. Gloss. Call Houty and the Blowfish. <laughs> um, Who I'm sure are guilty of the exact same thing. No Hootie song has a fat, dirty bass line. Um, I, uh, I just love when they decide to go partying in the next scene mm-hmm. and they storm off and, you know, they're like, come on, Vicky, and do it, do it. The re- it's sort of like a reprise comes back up. Mm-hmm, yeah. And as Victoria, she's walking, he's like, I can't run in these heels. Yeah. <laughs> and because they're going to take Nicola out and go mental. Yes. As they put it. Um, and we cut to Clifford uh, drinking in a bar, and Elvis Costello is the bartender. I was so happy. This is the real reason Libby wanted to talk about this film. No, remember, I've never seen this film. I had no idea. Get ready for a three-hour-long digression about just this scene. No. (laughs) Uh, But I do think it's interesting because he had also appeared in Austin Powers. uh, Yeah, yeah. Right, so we were having, like, again, that weird Elvis Costello revival. And I think Sieg kind of, he's very, very, very funny. And he's only in this for a few minutes, but um, he's delightful and British looking as always. He's kind of a uh, natural, isn't he? Yeah. But um, 
Clifford has a very uncomfortable smile. <laughs> well, we have to give a shout out real quick to Claire Rushbrook, who plays yes. Deborah, the Spice Girls assistant, because she gets one of the best lines in the movie. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I've got a degree in politics, philosophy and economics. And I spend my entire life worrying about whether Mel C is wearing the right Nike Air Max. To but she did Clifford, get them, right? Yes, because Clifford asked her, he says, you did sort that out. She said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best lines in the whole movie, because it describes <laughs> what pe- assistants go through. But Claire Rushbrook is so lovely through the whole movie. She's sort of like uh, an older sister to the Spice Girls throughout the whole film. It's really yes, adorable. And, and she doesn't get as much due as she should. I'm... Um, because she's overshadowed, I think, by Clifford just being just so weird with his weird suits and his fucking soul patch. <laughs> you know, it's funny. He is close friends with them when they did the first reunion in 2007. He was the, the master of ceremonies for them at the press oh. conference. Oh, wow. Oh. Yes, he introduces them. And it was, you know, he's like, it's like the first time together since Jerry did a bunk in Oslo. He introduces them by name and they come out and he fills the questions for them from the press. <laughs> I love that. Yes. That's great. Um, but yeah, we, um, they take her dancing at the club um, where they're playing a Who Do You Think You Are? Uh, Posh asks about the dress code, and I believe it is Mad Max Fury Road and The Matrix. Just about, yeah. (laughs) And it's funny because in 2005, Ian and I went to London uh, to see Ewan McGregor in Guys and Dolls. And we picked up a bunch of postcards for nightclubs and like parties. And a lot of them had like fetish wear and courage. Like they had all these weird dress codes. I still have a ton of them. But we found them everywhere. So, like, <laughs> British club parties are just off the fucking chain. But um, this, for me, and and Quentin, I'm hoping you can sort of explain this. Because there's lots of energy here, but it lacks the punch of earlier tracks. And it feels like that's because there's a shift in what we're dancing to uh, as as a culture. And I think you... you touched on earlier with beat versus groove there's a slightly more effervescent sound which personally doesn't hold for me but i'm wondering if you could sort of break that down well there's a few things here and i'm going to try to condense it as 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 best i can so first um they're in the ministry of sound which i believe that may still be there but not in maybe the same place or in the same configuration so it's a notable nightclub Um, i want to go to there yeah, it's it's a it's amazing space, right? I mean, you just it's like wow, I love it. You and I'll um, go dancing. So yes, I, I actually so well this you're you're gonna love this. I'll I'll get to that. I'll close that for you, and then you're gonna love it. I promise. So, who do you think you are? Was their fourth UK number one single, and it was the last single from the Spice campaign. It was a double A side with Mama, and that track, in its original version, was sort of this weird. It came in between at the end of the acid jazz movement. Yeah. And right before the new disco movement. So it's pitched right in between. So it's a bit more aggressive 
then something like Never Give Up on the Good Times, which is a bit more melodic, even though it's it's still groovy and danceable. Who do you think you are is specifically aimed at consumption for the clubs, whereas Never Give Up on the Good Times is, is more for a kitchen disco, as I would say. Okay. <laughs> but this I'd particular, <laughs> yeah, it's I I can't say it's mine. It's a it's a more of a British term uh, that I learned from 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 those folks. We love the Brits. I um the I it escapes me, but there's this is a remix that's playing. This is not the original version of Who Do You Think You Are that they're mm-hmm. dancing to. Though I do love the line in the film when Emma says, "I love this song. That's because we wrote it." Um, a great way to own those who say that the Spice Girls didn't write their own work. But I think that that's really probably why you're maybe not connecting with the track is because I think if the track was presented in its original configuration, you might have had a bit more affection for it. However, that is arguably considered one of the great sort of club classics of the period there. I can see that. And is probably their biggest club anthem. I can attest to this because when I went over to do guerrilla promotion for the first iteration of my Spice Girls book, we don't talk about that iteration because I was I was very green and God bless me. I did my best, but (laughs) we only acknowledge the second edition these days. But anyway, I was so I was a little touched or tipsy. And I remember dancing to this in heaven. This is a very popular gay club. And I was a little touched, but I could still do a two-step. So I was basically in a corner kind of doing a disco point with my left hand and kind of a two-step um, holding my drink in my right hand to this to the original version of the song. And the dance floor was packed wall to wall. That is the yeah. best story I've ever heard. And I am um, so happy for you that you got to have that moment. That brings me I, joy. I wish I was a bit more, I'm more of a dynamic dancer, but at that point I just had a few, so many spirits and I just, but I was able to muster, like I said, a disco point and a two-step at that point. <laughs> and it, but it worked. <laughs> so, you went out and you got mental. Yes, oh, I did. So, but yeah, but I, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, so, but it, it's, it's, okay. it's, it's a club classic for them over, over across the pond. So, get it on the, the 12 inch with the four or five remixes. Yes. We've an album version I prefer though. Yes. Agreed. Um, however, Nicola goes into labor. Oh no. <laughs> um, and they load her onto the bus. Um, and they get her to the hospital. She has her baby and they just absolutely wreck uh Richard O'Brien. Damien. They just destroy him. But we're also learning, we go back to uh, the producers and they are explaining this part of the movie. So I guess that's my question for you, Quentin. What movie are we watching? It's well, so meta. Point, it's, it's, they're breaking third and fourth walls pretty much all over the They're place. breaking all the walls. Um, there are no walls like all over the place. There's just, it's, it's kind of the original multiverse of madness, really. Um, because <laughs> there's all this stuff going on. You're like, I don't, and I think there's a scene where he's like, pitches are flying up. Guys are diving into fountains. Like, it's just, it's just crazy at this point. Yeah, he's describing the car chase portion. Um, and Posh is driving. It's like a speed parody. Um, they're on top of the bus. They jump a bridge in stop motion animation. It's um, wonderful. <laughs> I love when they go past the palace to, of course, comment, look, there's the queen. Hi, William. Hi, Charlie. Hello, Harry. Which Jerry's extra flirtatious wink at Prince Charles goes back to her meeting him earlier in the year and pinching his butt. 
That's why. <laughs> um, to which she, she also sang him happy birthday in a very Marilyn Monroe-esque way. Uh, President Kennedy, the following year after she left the group in 99, she, did, she sang him happy birthday. You deserve um, better, Jerry. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's a great sort of weird confluence of comedy and really co- sort of like just an, an, an intelligence in terms of what they're doing. Bob Spears, who was one of the people who worked on this, and I think I pulled this up here just to be sure that I got it correct for the listeners out there. I believe he worked on Absolutely Fabulous. That tracks. Uh, Bob Spears, the director, and Kim Fuller did the screenplay, who I think was connected to Simon Fuller, their manager. So it at this point, like I said, there's so many different references to both classic British television and and cinema from a comedy perspective. If you're clued in, you're going to get it all. If you're not, you're going to be curious. So I think because it, it doesn't alienate audiences. So I think it's mm-hmm. fantastic. And the actual normal music score at this point is really hilarious and compliments Victoria's madcap adventure through the streets of London, to which she replies, Sunday drivers, it's only Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, which is uh, and hold on to your knickers girls which is one of the greatest lines of all time yes. um, <laughs> but they do end up at Albert Hall where they rush the steps to Rocky's theme and mm-hmm. I have to say when I was in London again I got to stand in that same spot where Jerry and Victoria infamously uh, say to the police officer who stops them is there a problem officer <laughs> but the the line about uh baby spice being able to get out of any trouble pays off here it does yes <laughs> uh it's really hilarious um uh which is like sorry we never we didn't hurt anybody and we promise never ever to do it again and so, <laughs> like, yeah go ahead he's like the, the the writing of this was incredibly thoughtful and very very aware of how to make a joke work it it does, and I think it shows at the time that critics, again, it, they weren't it, they were angry at the girls daring to do a film. They didn't mm-hmm. actually engage with the content of the film. They engaged with the perception of 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 their of its stars. Well, and especially, we've seen this time and time again when movies aimed at women, they dismiss them frequently and i mean they did the same with mamma mia and it made a bajillion dollars they did the same with you know like there's they do that with lots of movies because they still don't see women as a film going audience yeah like uh we all go to the movies guys yeah and i think it's just again i think like more than any act before since them i think because the spice girls were so irrepressibly female and they were strong and they were intelligent and outspoken, but they were also shrewd, but they were also genuine. I think that it just, I think it was, it was that, that combination of different, those different multitudes of identity did not translate to sort of the male critical constituency. And they went in with the knives sharpened, but they, they made fun of that. And again, they, they seize the day because as the crowds are roaring for them and Clifford's sitting there threatening to hang himself. Which is line. dark. He's going to go out on stage and kill himself. That is dark. But I love how he takes the time to say, by the way, this is my good side, to which he says, the Spice Girls, I ate them. And then right then the door opens and Bellevue walks in like, hey. 
Hey, how are you doing? Uh, where are the baits? And Victoria, of course, where are the clothes? And then Mel B comes back, and where are the bacon buddies? Which are like basically, I think, a British sandwich with bacon. But I love the way they tie up the loose ends. I mm. love how Clifford and 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 Deborah get together. Yeah. Um, I love how Chief is 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 uh, wanting to uh, make sure that we seize the day before uh, the forces of darkness break free from their shackles and slobber chaos all, all over our faces once again. Is exact <laughs> line. Um, <laughs> um, and then of course we open. We, or we close with, uh, excuse me, the Spice Girls giving a absolutely goosebumps-inducing performance. Yes, I felt that too. Um, like I felt it. This song again. Well, let's let's go to a clip. Goosebumps incoming. song that made me a fan yeah Yeah, this song is great and it kind of made me one too as as we talked about because i remember seeing this video the only thing and i hate to quibble about this that second verse the yellow man in timbuktu and the cut you're just like oh 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 boy oh no 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 um that's it's we all did cringe things in the 90s so it's a step too far now but yeah. yeah That was the, like hearing it today. I, even I was just like, Ooh, nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. Not, yeah. But I'm, so, I, mean, I just try to focus on the positive parts. Yeah. Of the song. And I know that just like I said, I think that they're, they, they write from a much better place. Sometimes I think we have to, I, with some of those things, you have to meet people where they are. It's kind of like that last dragon, um, the, the movie. Or yeah. uh, what is it from the what's his name the Motown movie with Vandy Six and yeah the the Last Dragon yeah Last yeah, Dragon they, yeah they have this awful scene where they're like the with the Asian members of the film singing Sukiyaki Ya Saki Su I'm like ooh this is kind of a bit of a disaster but mm-hmm. you have to take it I guess where it is at that time and then we yeah. evolve and move forward from that and we we don't do it again. Yeah, and it certainly wasn't meant to be harmful. Yeah, I don't think they went in to purposely malign anyone of, of Asian descent. I don't think yeah. they're intended. Right. The spirit um, in which it's intended is definitely important there. It's fine. Yes. It's, it's okay. And, it's just, you're right. Yeah, let's move on. Um, <laughs> although I did, I uh, forget which video, um, but you saw, um, well, and you see Jerry wearing um, like the Mandarin-inspired dresses. And I think um, in one of the videos... Mel C is wearing like a Mandarin collar top, and I had all of them. Oh that yeah, was... she she wore the dress when they met Prince. Or no, Nelson Mandela. Yeah, she wore the dress, and then Mel C wears that top. There's a term for that in the um in the Too Much video. Yeah, yeah that was um... it. Yeah, the Mandarin collars. Um, and I had I had a ton of them. I had the dresses. I love them. They're very stylish. And she does reprise it in the movie. She wears it in the movie when they confront yep. Clifford. Yeah, she wears it again. Yeah. I yeah. love that little dress on her. It's like a dress. I was wearing a dress like that um, when I met Matthew Broderick at oh, wow. um, Christie's Auction House. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. That was September 10th, 2001 in New York City. Oh, my God. Yikes. 
<laughs> but I still have that dress, and I would love to. I it would be great if those tops came back into style because they're, they're so cute. So with the frog closures, darling. Uh, we oh we also see that the aliens are dancing. Of course. So they like we were broadcasting into outer space. Everybody time. comes together in that yeah. scene. The chief, everybody. everybody, yeah, is there. It's a good scene, and it's a, a great close to the movie. And, of course, we get sort of some silly um, sequences over the credits, including some more fourth wall breaking, where they comment on what's going on in the audience. There's a, That's another reprise, Never Give Up on the Good Times is playing over that. I also love that yep. it's, it's really interesting when they run the credits. You see Victoria still had her maiden name then. She was still Victoria Adams. Right, yeah. yeah. She, hadn't got, she was uh, just, they were just uh, dating at the time. They hadn't gotten engaged yet. But um, it's a great close. Um, that ending is really just awesome. And a great sort of true life event. Uh, they've actually, none of the girls had ever performed there live in rea- like as an actual proper show until Emma did her first solo Christmas concert there in support of her fourth album, which is not holiday themed. But she just, that was, she had that project out in the year just before they did their reunion tour. But oh, she did wow. a she did a whole Christmas concert there with with uh, at Albert Hall, and I thought that was so fantastic at the end of 2019. Oh, so it was it was very cool. well received, yeah. And so that was her first time back on that stage since they had filmed that that sequence. So I thought that was just kind of interesting, but uh, well, yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a great ending. Let the Spice Girls at Royal Albert Hall. They were going to let Brian Adams be there. They can't let the Spice Girls. Well, I don't think it's that they didn't. Let, I just think they never did. They 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 played bigger arenas. Well, they should get to play there anyway, and we should all be invited. Well, yeah, I think they would do probably an interesting show there. I mean, <laughs> it would be great to see that. I uh, they played some of the other, obviously Wembley O2 and all that yep. stuff. But um, I also want to give a shout out to the filmmakers, um, the fictional filmmakers in that George went. And the gentleman from Kids in the Hall, whose name escapes me, they do end up getting their movie made. I love when Clifford comes up to see them in the little theater box and they just kind of start dancing as soon as they see him um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when they weren't <laughs> yes. before. Um, and Richard O'Brien is saying like, well, you know, their kids are going to hate me. They're going to come up and yell at me on the street. Like, does my character have to be so despicable? So as an artiste, a good kicking is the highest compliment you could ever get. In a way, yes. My husband um, played the dentist in a local production of Little Shop of Horrors, and when he came out on stage, everyone booed, <laughs> which she was quite taken by. Um, so in certain contexts, yes. Nobody kicked him, though. That was good. I would not have allowed that. That's good. <laughs> so, well, yeah. So that's Spice yeah. World. Any last thoughts on that? My... They really should release a compendium album. With everything on it. They, yeah, they should. I mean, it's it's such a an eclectic. I won't say eclectic because it's all Spice Girls, but it it's such a, a good sort of representation of of the art the band, I guess. And I think my one complaint, and this is a silly complaint, is that the ending where they're they're fun they finally catch up with the police after this long chase sequence. If they really wanted to go with like the full on like most British movie ever made, they should have just done the Monty Python ending and have them all get arrested. <laughs> oh, but I, 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 you know, I digress. <laughs> no, I had a really good time with this movie, and I had a really yeah. good time with this album, and I can, I can make room 
in my music listening diet for some Spice Girls every now and then. It's okay. Good. It's great. It's fun. Absolutely. So, Quentin, last thoughts? Um, It's interesting. I have just moved into my new apartment at, at the top of this year, January 7th. And while I've been playing plenty of Spice Girls music, I have not actually christened my apartment yet with Spice World. Like, I haven't watched it in my new place yet. So when I get back from seeing my parents this week, I'm going to play it because it'll be nice to christen my apartment with the film. Oh, good. Send us a picture. I I will. I I will do that. I'll leave you with this little anecdote. So back in the day, I didn't get to see it in the theaters because, remember, I didn't get into the Spice Girls until March. So by that point, I think the film was winding down its theatrical run in the States. So when the video came out on cassette in the summer of 98, my mother took me, because we lived in West Dayton then, to the blockbuster that had it. So we get a tape, go home. The tape didn't work. Oh, no. We drove back to the blockbuster. (laughs) The second tape. Second tape didn't work. There was something wrong with this back. So at this point, my mother, who's normally has the patience of Job, is getting a little irritated. Like, this is the third time. If (sighs) we go and get this tape, that's it. We're not, we'll get it a different day. So I'm like, here at my 13-year-old heart, I've got my fingers crossed, like, please work, please work. So we go and get the third tape. Now, mind you, the Blockbuster staff is great. They're not charging us for each tape. We paid for the one tape. We're just trying to get the right tape from the shipment. The third tape was the charm, and that's the VHS copy I still have 19 years later. Oh, thank God. And boy, I I studied that movie from cover to to cover, figuratively speaking. Bumper to bumper. Yes, but which is the name of their first B-side. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I played it on record Saturday. So. I love it. And it's one of those films, and I, we didn't even touch on this really, but the kind of films that allow women to be weird. Yes. Like, it's it's very refreshing to just see women being very, very weird with their friends. Because we're all, like, really goblins underneath. Like truly, I think that's why you with like our Jerry friends. so much because she is weird. She has all the weird facts about nature and stuff through the whole film about. She knows a lot about stuff. manta rays. Yeah. Um, and uh, about how animals court each other and go up and go up to the other animal that they're mating with and pee on them and mm-hmm. and all these different weird facts that no one should know. <laughs> like <laughs> she knows. Um, that's what makes it work. But like you said, it's in it's embracing. I think the multitudes that women hold. And embracing that sisterhood and how we can also be a space that women can open up for other people to come into and share. And it's, yes. a, it's a very unifying, positive and uplifting experience. And I think that that's Absolutely. That three people from three different walks of life talking about this film 25 years later speaks to its positive power. Yes. And it's 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 ability to affect us even now. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely unifying. So, Quentin, thank you so much for for being our Spice Girls expert, for joining us. It was in, it was incredible having you here. We'll have to have you back. So think of another movie you want to talk about. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm always game. And, and hopefully I didn't Spice Girl nerd too much. I'm I it was a privilege to, to chat with you guys. So absolutely loved it. So, Joe, what are we doing next time? Well, next time spring has sprung and with spring comes tornado season so why not join us again while we spin the soundtrack to 1996's twister oh boy (laughs) (laughs) can you cue the wizard of oz up to play with this one as well you know what probably
but yeah, um, so Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram over at record underscore Saturday. Joe, where can they find you? I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Cordial Wombat. You can also hear me yell about Christmas movies all year round on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps. Quentin, where can we find you? I can be found at the QH Blend on Twitter. I can be found on Instagram at Retro Modern Fly. And I can also be found back on Twitter in relation to my podcast that I run with my colleague, Jerome Graham, Music Out of Bounds, at Bounds Music. Feel free to DM me any questions that you may have or any Spice Girl stuff you want to talk about. And if you are interested in any of my books uh, or writing, you can click the Linktree link in both my Instagram and my personal uh, Twitter page for that for that yeah. information. We'll also post that in our show notes. So for the OST party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. <laughs> Buy the ticket. Take the ride. Take the ride.